The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning again. Uh, it's good to be with you. Uh, if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, my name is Penny, and I'm the senior pastor here in uh, friends, it is good to be together for us to worship the Lord and to come to his word. And the portion of his word we'll be looking at this morning is Psalm 4. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Psalm 4. Um, in these a few weeks, as we are um, leading up to the summer, and um, as I have only one more Sunday with us uh, before my sabbatical, before we jump into the summer series looking at uh, John's writing to the churches in Revelation, Revelation 1 through 3, um, we're looking at a few different psalms. So last week we looked at Psalm 66. This morning we're looking at Psalm 4. Next week uh, we'll look at Psalm 37. But Psalm 4 is a psalm of David. And some have speculated um, that this is perhaps a continuation of Psalm 3. There's some like language, some similar themes, um, and so some have wondered and, and thought that maybe what caused the writing of Psalm 4 was, was Absalom's uh, rising against David. You remember Absalom is David's son, and he rose up against David to try and destroy David and to take the throne of Israel for himself. And so some have speculated, because Psalm 3 was written for that occasion, that Psalm 4 is a continuation of that. But but at the end of the day, it truly is speculation. We're not really sure if it is uh, written because of that occasion. But what we are sure of is that Psalm 4 is a lament, a lament psalm. Now, one of the things that I love about the psalms and one of the reasons why we return to them so frequently is because the psalms express the, uh, the breadth of human experience and emotion. So oftentimes we like to think about, um, about God and our walk with him and what is true and right. We just think about in purely mental ways, right? Like in mental categories. And so as long as I get right thinking, right doctrine, right ways of, of understanding, then everything else will fall into place. And, and of course we want right thinking, right? Of course we want true doctrine. There is no question about that. And we are more than just big heads, <laughs> We are more than just minds. That God has actually created us with emotion, right? With hearts and souls and spirits. And, and oftentimes we experience this world not just with how we think about it, but we experience it with our emotions, our desires. And what's beautiful about the Psalms is that we see that being expressed in the Psalms, right? Times of joy and celebration, there's a Psalm for that. Times of remembering the king and the future Messiah, there's a psalm for that. Times of sadness and crying out, well, there's psalms for that as well. In every season, on every occasion, there is a psalm. And this morning, the psalm we have is a lament. Then times of need, of worry, of pain, of suffering, David cries out. So let's read Psalm 4. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. 
O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask that you would lead us and guide us, that you would show us the way so that in all of our ways we would honor you. Father, we ask that you would meet with us now and that you would allow my words to give you glory. You would allow the attentiveness of our hearts and our minds to be directed towards you. So we ask that you would help us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, a number of years ago, uh, before my family and I moved here to Roanoke, uh, I was an associate pastor of a church in St. Louis. We had, I've been the pastor there for seven years, and about two or three years into that pastorate, right after seminary, um, I found myself uh, dealing with insomnia. I don't know if any of y'all have had to deal with that, but, but insomnia, the way it manifested itself in my life was that basically every single night for not days, not weeks, but actually months, six, eight, ten months, I couldn't sleep through the night. I would awake at two, three, four in the morning and my mind would be racing. And it didn't matter what I did or, or what I tried, I, I couldn't fall back asleep. My mind would be racing about a conversation I just had the day before or the task that was awaiting me in the office or, or a whole host of other things. I couldn't sleep. Some nights I would toss and turn. Other nights I would just lay there stilly and look up at the ceiling hoping not to awaken Cat beside me. I couldn't sleep. I would just sit there and wait and hope. Maybe one more hour, maybe two more hours, maybe a little bit more rest, and then the alarm would go off, and my day would begin. It was brutal. It was awful, I just have to tell you. It was horrible to always be tired, and some of you know that, because I know that many of you have experienced it, right? It's not hard to imagine sleepless nights, because y'all have experienced sleepless nights, because of a difficult relationship or struggles at work or, or an assignment that is due and you're not ready for it, right? You know the anxiety and the worry and the concern that, that can overwhelm us to the degree that we cannot sleep. And David knows that anxiety, that worry and that concern. Commentators almost are universal in their affirmation that this letter, this, uh, this chapter, excuse me, this prayer was offered originally in the evening. We, we think that because of the reference to sleep in verse 8. Now, it doesn't mean that David was awoken in the middle of the night. It doesn't mean that he is sleepless. But what we do know is that when evening came, his mind turned to trouble. And what is the trouble? Look at verses 2 through 3. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? 
Now, I already said we're not sure of the occasion. It could have been Absalom when he was trying to destroy his father. It could have been the many times that Saul tried to kill David. It could have been one of those times he went to war. We're not exactly sure, but what we do know is that there are those who are rising up in opposition to David. And they're opposing him in two, wor- two ways. The first is with their words. Do you see it? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Now that word vain, it literally means empty. Their words are empty. They're unfounded. They're full of deception. They oppose him with their words, but they also oppose him by claiming that his actions, though pious, are actually shameful. That's what we hear, right? How long shall my honor be turned into shame? They are taking David's good deeds, his good works, and they're treating them as though they are sinful. And David's feeling the weight, the strain, the burden of the opposition and of the lies. And so where does he go? Where do you go? In those sleepless nights, what do you do? I told you what I've tried doing. What do you do? As you lie awake, hoping for sleep, I imagine that many of you, you fret over the issue that woke you. Maybe uh, you play it over in your mind, or, or maybe you focus on that conversation that you dread, and you, you come up with all the things that you would say back to them, and their responses, and your retorts, and all this. Maybe that's where you go. Or maybe you simply resign yourselves to the fact that sleep isn't coming, and you doom scroll through social media at two in the morning. You, don't do that, by the way. That's, that's not a good way to fall asleep. And doom scrolling, by the way, I, I, when I used that phrase in the first uh, service, most people kind of looked at me funny, like they, didn't, they had never heard of that. Doom scrolling is basically looking for social media for the things that you're going to get angry about, basically. That's what doom scrolling is. And uh, l- let's just say it, people do it. Maybe we do it. And that's not going to make you rest. That's not where we should turn in sleeplessness, with anxiety and worry and fear. No, where is it that we should turn? Well, think about all the places that David could have turned. David could have turned to his wealth, right? He was the king after all. He could have turned to his army. He had one at his disposal. He could have turned to his nation and asked them to surround him. But David doesn't turn to any of these things. Where does David turn in his time of need? Well, David turns to God. We hear it in verse 1. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. David turns to God, and why? Because God is the God of his righteousness. Did you hear that? Y'all, isn't that beautiful? When David approaches the Lord in prayer, he doesn't come to him claiming his own righteousness. He doesn't come saying, look, I've been pure in heart. Look, I am completely innocent. Look, I have never sinned. He doesn't claim any of those things. What he claims is God's righteousness. He is the God of my righteousness. Another way of translating that phrase is he is my righteous God. David is invoking God's character. And he knows who God is. God is the one who is just and right. He is the protector of his people. And David knows this because David has experienced this in the past. 
You see it? He said, you have given me relief when I was in distress. David's not looking forward to the day when whatever situation is besieging him will be done with. No, he's, he's looking to the past and saying, you have been the God who has been my protector, who has cared for me, who has brought relief. That is why I will call out to you again. As one theologian put it, David's past experience emboldens the faithful to confident prayer. Because God had been faithful, faithful against Goliath, and against Saul when he was throwing spears at David, and and against the Philistines, and against all those who had risen up against him, because God had been faithful in the past, David is confident to call out to him now. His request for God's grace and for God to hear him is grounded in the fact that God has heard him before, and he has been gracious in the past. David turns to God because it's in keeping with who God is for God to hear his people and to be gracious. But that's not, David's not the only one that should turn to God for that reason. That's why we turn as well. Right? I mean, whatever worries, whatever fears, whatever anxieties that are keeping you up at night, friends, in the night, turn to God. Turn to him. Cry out to him because God doesn't go deaf. And he doesn't ignore the cries of his people. He hears us. I mean, Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that, that we are to come with confidence and draw near to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. You see, we draw near and we turn to God because he is our righteous one the one who invites us into his presence. And we don't come into his presence because of a righteousness of our own. We come because of his righteousness. The righteousness that he has given to us through his son. You see, that's the beautiful transaction that takes place on the cross. Jesus takes our sin upon himself and he imputes his righteousness to us. We don't claim our righteousness, we claim Christ's. And in claiming Christ, we can come into the presence of God and he hears his people. You see, in anxiety and worry and fear, when others oppose and speak lies to us, the first place we turn is to the Lord. We turn to God, and in turning to God, we trust in him. That's what we see of David. He trusts in God. Look at verses 3 through 4. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. We trust him. And why do we trust him? Because God makes us his own. He makes us his own. He sets us apart. Did you see it in verse 3? Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. Now that word set apart, It's not very common in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, but it does show up four times in the book of Exodus. And in the book of Exodus, what it's getting at is a distinction that God makes between two things. For instance, in Exodus chapter 11, it's a distinction that is made between Israel and Egypt. What God is saying is that these are my people. I have set them apart That those who from our heart have clung to God's grace, who know his truth, who turn and trust in him with faith, that, that he sets us apart. He makes us his own. That's who you are. 
the people who belong to the Lord. That's who you are, those who have been set apart. As the Heidelberg Catechism puts it, our only comfort in life and death is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul to my faithful Savior. Friends, that's why we trust him. Because God has done something that no one else could do. He made us his people. Your works, your piety, your good deeds, they are not enough for God to set his love upon you. He sets you apart as his own because of his love. It is his work on our behalf. That is why we trust him. But we don't just trust him because he makes us our, his own. We also trust him because in making us his own, he cares for us. He cares for us and defends us. He protects his people. Now, that's what we're seeing in the rest of verses 3 through 5, but I'm going to have to explain it a little bit for us to see it. Now, in order for us to understand it, we have to deal with this language of be angry and do not sin. Maybe as soon as you read that, that's what you've been focusing on. Be angry and do not sin. Because um, we focus on it because it maybe sounds oxymoronic to us. Like, uh, I don't know what that looks like, Pastor. Maybe you're wondering that. Maybe you're thinking that. Because oftentimes our anger is often mixed with sin, right? With our sin. We overreact, we respond with rage, we, we don't give someone the benefit of the doubt, right? Like, these are the things that we do in our anger. And yet, David is saying, be angry and don't sin. So how is that possible? Well, first, we have to say it is possible because David calls us to do it, and Paul repeats it in the New Testament. But what will that look like? Well, what we have to acknowledge is the fact that... Um, Anger is sometimes, and, and maybe even oftentimes, the right response to sin. Okay? So anger is the right and appropriate response to sin. So if, let's think about what we just saw and witnessed this past week. Right? The, the killing of children and teachers. Right? That, that act, the right response for, as Christians, we, we're not Jedi, right? We're not supposed to be these like stoic sort of beings. We're not supposed to just kind of ignore it or pass it on, right? That, that that should actually stir in us anger at the injustice that was perpetrated. That is the right response. And there are times when that is the right response against wickedness and evil in this world at, in response to the evil and wickedness in our own hearts. I mean, surely David would have been angry, right? People are opposing him. People are speaking lies about him. They're slandering, right? They, surely he would have been angry as well. And so we have to acknowledge that anger is often, or, or at least it can be, the right response. And we are not to sin in our anger. And the way we do not sin in our anger is that we are angry at sin and we trust in God. You see, oftentimes our anger will manifest itself in us wanting to take things into our own hands. And in doing so, we are often not trusting God, we are trusting ourselves. That we are to be angry at sin and trusting whatever the situation is to the Lord. David says right after, be angry and do not sin. He says, ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Ponder in your hearts on your beds and be silent. 
He's not saying be silent towards the Lord, be silent to God. He's crying out. He's praying to him. What he's saying about silence is that we do not take things into our own hands, but instead we entrust the situation to the Lord. We still call sin, sin, and evil, evil, and wickedness, wickedness, and we ultimately are trusting that the Lord will care for his people. And I have to tell you, friends, that's hard. That's hard because when evil is perpetrated against us, don't we want to respond with evil? I mean, when, when we've been slandered or gossiped, don't we want to respond with slander and gossip? We want to defend and argue and fight and to enact vengeance. But the Bible's clear. Vengeance does not belong to us. God says, vengeance is mine. That is what the Lord declares. Vengeance is mine. It is the Lord's. And so what this must mean is that we are trusting God for our care. Ultimately, we are looking to him to preserve us, to care for us. We are trusting in him. It means that we don't take matters into our own hands or bring vengeance because we believe that God will deal with evil and wickedness and those who seek ill, and he will do it in his own time. And we trust that the Lord is going to do it because this is exactly what the Bible tells us. That there is a day coming when our Lord Jesus will return, and when he comes, he will destroy evil and wickedness forever. It will be no more. That there will be no longer any need for weapons of war. That there will no longer be slander or evil or wickedness or gossip. There will no longer be death and destruction, right? He's going to take swords and turn them into plowshares. There will simply be peace. There is a day coming when Jesus will destroy evil and wickedness. That is why we need not take things in our own hands. That is why we can trust him today because we trust that one day he will deal with evil. He will bring justice and peace and goodness and so in our time of need we turn to God and we trust in him now it doesn't mean that will come tomorrow but what it does mean is that tomorrow we cry out and we lament and we ask him to come do an end to evil and wickedness come quickly Lord Jesus we turn to him in our time of need and we trust him. And finally, we treasure him. That's what David says. Look at verses 6 through 7. There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. So the first half of verse 6, this question is a question that's being asked. Who will show us some good? And David responds, basically the second half of verse 6, it's his response, the Lord. That's who will show us good. Right? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Now this is an echo of the Aaronic blessing of number 6. Aaronic, like Aaron, not ironic. <laughs> uh, it's the Aaronic blessing of number 6, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. 
And when David invokes this blessing, what he's saying is that when God's face is pointed to us, when the light of his face shines on us, we are going to experience his favor and kindness and goodness and care. And this care is treasured more than anything this world has to offer. That's what he said. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. An abundant harvest and flowing wine in the ancient Near East, these were the symbols of economic prosperity. And what David is saying is that joy comes not from worldly prosperity, but that the worldly prosperity is nothing compared to the joy of those who treasure the Lord. Another way of putting it is that he who has God and nothing else has far more than he who has the world and does not have God. That we treasure him. David knew that. He knew the joy that comes from God outweighs the joys of this world. And that's what Jesus said in John 15. You remember he said that I come so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. See, friends, that is why we treasure him. That is why we treasure him, because his, the relationship we have with him is far greater than anything this world could give us. It doesn't mean there won't be evil and wickedness. It doesn't mean that there won't be anxious times or, or reasons to cry out. There are, and there will continue to be until he returns. But it also means that true delight and fullness of joy is found only when the Lord is our ultimate treasure. And when we treasure him, we know his peace. That's how David ends the psalm. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You see, what David is telling us is that in the night, he and we can rest. We can rest because when God is our treasure when we trust in him, when we turn to the Lord, we know a peace that comes only through him. And so, friends, today, this morning, this afternoon, this evening, turn to God. Trust in him. Treasure him above all else and know his peace. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you that you uh, have called your people to be your people that you have set us apart so that we would walk with you and know you. And we pray, Father, that in our times of worry, in times of fear, in times of difficulty, that we would turn to you. We would cry out to you. We would trust in you, and we would treasure you above all else. So we pray that you would help us to do that today and all of our days, so that your name would be made much of, and we would walk as your faithful people. And we pray this in Christ's name and God's people said together, Amen.